Welcome to Daily Daf Differently, a Jcast Network podcast. This daily podcast invites you to join us to study the Daily Talmud page with a variety of liberal rabbis and teachers. For more information about Daily Daf Differently, please visit jcastnetwork.org slash ddd. For more information about the other Jcast Network podcasts and blogs, please visit jcastnetwork.org. Welcome to the Daily Daf Differently. I am Barry Dove Katz, and today we are studying Tractate Shabbat, Daf 104, page 104. We've been talking about Shabbat rules, specifically those related to the prohibition on writing two letters or more on Shabbat. On page 104, the Gemara offers several playful methods for imparting important messages and interpreting the Torah, and they're all focused on the letters of the Hebrew alphabet. The section begins with the sages coming to say to Rabbi Yoshua ben Levi, Joshua ben Levi, that children in the study hall were offering interpretations never heard, not even in the days of Yoshua ben Nun, Joshua ben Nun, Moses' successor. The first system reported by these rabbis is said to have come from the mouths of babes, and it's based on the shapes of the Hebrew letters. And then the rabbis go on to share other systems not necessarily connected to those kids. The first method, the one where the children offer many sermons on basic virtues, is inspired by what the Hebrew letters look like. Each of the letters of the Hebrew alphabet developed originally from a simple picture. The yud, the smallest letter, looks a bit like a little hand, and that's what it name, its name means. Kaf means and looks like the palm of one's hand, and so on. And here, this group of children take the idea of letters as many pictures one step further and imagine other meanings based on the shapes of the letters. In order to understand these kids' sermons, picture in your mind, or better yet, get a chart of the Hebrew letters as they are written in Torah scrolls. This script is called Ktav Stam. The Ktav Stam is the font used by scribes to write scrolls. Rabbinic tradition dictates that each of these letters be written in a particular form. Think of the letters Gimel and Dalet. The leg of the Gimel extends towards the next letter of the alphabet, the Dalet. Why? Because a Gomel, someone who wants to extend loving kindness to a poor person, will extend his or herself towards that poor person. And the leg of the Dalet, representing the Dal, the poor person, is slanted backwards towards the Gimel, suggesting that the poor person will allow his or herself to be helped, or perhaps they are reaching out for help. At the same time, the long line at the top of the Dalit stretches away from the Gimel. It is as if it faces away from the previous letter, suggesting that the person who wants to give staka should give discreetly so that the poor person will not be embarrassed. In two letters, a homily on what it means to give and to receive with grace and sensitivity. The Gemara goes on to report, in the name of these children, other quick and memorable drashot, or interpretations. The word pe in Hebrew means mouth, and it's connected to a letter of the alphabet, the pe. Compare the regular pe, which occurs at the beginning or the middle of the word, and the final pe, which is used at the end. Sometimes, concludes the Gemara, one has to have an open mouth. 
think about the final pay, the pe patuach, so that one can say what needs to be said. And sometimes the best we can do is to keep our mouths shut, pesatum, like the regular pe, whose mouth does, does seem almost shut. The next method of interpretation will be familiar to anyone who read Dan Brown's blockbuster book, The Da Vinci Code. Listen to how Brown describes the scene where the pattern of the code is revealed. The last line, Sophie says, says that atbash will reveal the truth. I've heard that word, atbash. I'm not surprised, Langdon replied. You probably heard it in Cryptology 101. The Atbash cipher is one of the oldest codes known to man. Of course, Sophie thought, the famous Hebrew encoding system. The Atbash cipher had indeed been part of Sophie's early cryptology training. The cipher was now used as a classroom example of a basic rotational substitution scheme based on the 22-letter Hebrew alphabet. In Atbash, the first letter was substituted by the last letter, the second letter by the next-to-last letter, and so on. I don't know if Brown knew our page of the Gemara, but he did describe the Atbash system fairly well. Atbash, the name Atbash, is a reminder of the key to the substitution system. Aleph becomes Taf, Bet becomes Shin, Aleph Taf, Bet Shin, Atbash. The Atbash system was used as a code, but it was also used as a way of training children to learn the shapes of the letters outside of their context in the alphabet. For the rabbis, Atbash offered another way of remembering verses or composing lines that would remind people of proper conduct. If your head is swimming in all this, try writing down the letters and creating your own key. It works in English just as well. I transpose the letters of my own name. My name, Barry, in Atbash would be Yizib, Y-Z-I-I-B. Dafyomi would be Wuzublanur, W-Z-U-B-L-N-R. No deep meaning there. The Gemara knows of other mnemonic systems as well. One divides the 22 letters of the Hebrew alphabet into three seven-letter groups, with the last letter as part of the final group. So Aleph equals Chet equals Samech, and so on. Another cuts the Aleph bed in half and pairs the corresponding letters so that Aleph equals Lamed, Bet equals Mem, and so on. Why is the Gemara going on about this? Perhaps there's a clue in how the section began. We started this run of playful interpretations by speaking of Rabbi Joshua ben Levi, a scholar who lived in the first half of the 3rd century. The other scholars told him that children were saying original things, things that weren't even said back in the days of a different Joshua, Joshua ben Nun. While the Gemara goes on to list other systems not necessarily connected to kids, this opening sets a tone. Each of these so-called children's interpretations contains a pointed truth. Said in the name of children, but surely meant for adults, they remind the listener how she or he should deal with others and with God. Maybe the reference to Joshua ben Levi and Joshua ben Nun was a way of connecting ancient commentary with then-modern methods. The rabbis of the Talmudic era lived at a time that was in some ways like our own. New intellectual currents challenged traditional truths. Judaism was reinventing itself and needed to speak the language of the people, and that meant new and sometimes playful methods of of instruction. 
I love the playfulness here. Torah is serious business, but when it comes to engaging students of any age, sometimes it's okay to have some fun. Think about all of those silly songs that have been written to engage children in the drama of the Pesach Seder. Consider how the internet has so many engaging ways of learning Torah that no one could have imagined a few years ago. Check out how many online videos riff on popular songs as a way of teaching basic Jewish concepts. When you loosen things up, people lower their guard. They are open to learning things that they would never have considered before. Still, as my teacher, Dr. Richard Kalman, said, this is not just playful. When it came to letters used by God to write the Torah, which God consulted when God created the world, the rabbis believed that nothing less was at stake than the key to unraveling the secrets of the universe. The work of Joshua bin Nun, of Joshua ben Levi, of those children, our work, it's all the same. As Pirkevo notes, Moses received the Torah from Sinai and passed it on to Joshua bin Nun. And from there, generations of scholars passed the tradition on to the next generations. Each time, each person has a preferred method of extracting meaning from text. At times, it's playfully looking at the letters, free associating with their shapes or their words. At other times, the letters are mnemonic devices for us, reminding us of lessons that we know but don't always live by. And still at other times, men and women grapple with the legal meaning of the text or its homiletic possibilities. But it's all the same tradition. Passed from one ancient Joshua to another, all the way up to the Joshuas and Jocelyns of our own day. This is my last session teaching in this section of Dafyomi. I hope to learn again with you in the future. I hope you've enjoyed today's episode of Daily Daf Differently, and that you'll join us again tomorrow for a new page. The music at the opening and close of this episode is Ufros from the Epic Chorus album One Bead, available on Bandcamp, iTunes, and Spotify.